What's the password? <laughs> Welcome to the Game Master Speakeasy. Brought to you by the record button. Hello and welcome to the Game Master Speakeasy. I am your host, uh, well, one of your ho- one of your hosts. The other one being, hi, I'm Lance. It's Lance, everybody, my good buddy. Uh, you have found He's your way. He's Cody. Yeah, I'm. Yes, thank you, thank you very much, Lance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you have found your way to the Game Master Speakeasy, and you are welcome to come inside if you have any interest about tabletop role-playing games, because that's what we're going to be talking about here today. Or if you just want to listen to us talk. Well, yeah. I mean, if if for (laughs) some reason the sound of my semi-nasally voice uh, you find to be the so, so soothing, uh, then you can stick around, I guess. But uh, we are going to talk about tabletop games. Please pull up a chair next to the ever-burning hearth. Take a load off. It's been a long day. Come on in and relax. Go up to the bar. Today's bartender is Siobhan. Siobhan can serve you a nice, wonderful beverage of age appropriateness. Anything to your liking. Uh, what are you know? I feel like I feel like sometimes that we should talk about the beer first. Okay, you want to talk about? The Let's beer talk first? about the beer first. What is what is Siobhan served us today? We have a uh, a blood orange blonde ale from Second State brewing and um it's good i am not typically like a fruit beer guy that's not not kind of what i'm into but um this one's good i like it i mean it's it's got like the the orange is kind of a hint on the tail end of it i was gonna say it's subtle rather than being like which is a really pretentious way of what you said yeah it's (laughs) it's like the orange isn't punching you in the face it just hangs out on the back end and waits for you to find it and i don't get me wrong i know that blood orange is just a type of orange but anything called blood orange kind of sounds like it would be right right in your face about (laughs) it but uh, i know that's just a type of orange but still uh, i actually i actually learned uh i I didn't learn that blood orange was a thing until i was like uh 29 or 30 isn't it like the 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 meat and the orange kind of reddish isn't that like like what makes a blood orange orange? like when you cut it open the inside of it's like red instead of darker color yeah i know that because of animal crossing Anyway, let's move on. I'm a ma- I'm manly. <laughs> we want to talk about that. <laughs> All right. So today's main topic is going to be about failure. So the entire episode is going to be about me. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we will be talking about failing forward. Uh, that is to say, how you as a game master, or if you're a player, how the game master probably should, at least in our opinions, handle failure, whether it be because of your choices or the dice decided to... Well, the the, the dice decided. They don't always cooperate. That's, no, that's uh, that is, the whole random chance thing. Yeah, sometimes it'll get you. Which is part of why these games are fun, because there's you don't... If you wanted to just win, go write a book. Yeah, I was going to say... <laughs> You, you gotta have that chance of, of failure in order to really. Uh, yeah, but the best characters in books experience tension. Yeah, they experience hardship anyway. So, right. All right. So the main topic is going to be about that. But we've got first a couple pieces of news. Um, we haven't talked a lot about it, but um, what was it? Last month, shortly after uh, the winter months, shortly after the holidays, Lance here purchased as a gift for me the hardcover books of Seventh Edition Call of Cthulhu. Uh, both the player, the investigator's handbook and the keeper's handbook. And then, and then the entire RPG community started boycotting Chaos <laughs> Um because of them endorsing NFTs. Well, endorsing NFTs is essentially what they did. And they had done this in 2021, but it didn't really come out mm-hmm. and come into the public eye as much until very recently. So I've been kind of like, just, well, we won't talk about it. I'm, I, you already got the books, so it's not like... Okay, but explain to me why everybody hates NFTs. That's, I think there's a whole. We, I think they're stupid, but I don't understand the like, ra- like raging hatred for them. Uh, well, part of it has to do with like the gaming community. So imagine, imagine you know you spend money on cosmetics mm-hmm. uh, for like Fortnite or or for or for whatever online game or for even maybe your single player RPG that you're playing on a video game. And now imagine that they try to make a limited number of those. And then charge an exorbitant rate for them because there is a f- they have now created a finite in a finite amount of a fake resource. Yeah, I guess I don't know. I just, I, anyway, that's just that's just I mean, one I, reason. I, the to gaming me, to community. me, it's mildly irritating. I see, I mean, I see a lot of hatred for it, but I'm like, yeah, it's, it's 
kind of dumb, but... Anyway, I didn't want to <laughs> endorse their usage of NFTs, just like the gaming community. But now, uh, they actually listened to their... Uh, their the people that give them money for products, and uh, <laughs> they have backpedaled, so now we can talk about it again. All right, uh, we're going we're gonna to run Call of Cthulhu. See, that's my secret. I buy him books for games I want him to game master so that I can play. <laughs> It's well, that easy, it really is. That's a, well, Call of Cthulhu is another system that we have, so it's news to us, right? This, I mean, this, I think Call of Cthulhu came out, 7th edition released, I want to say, in like 2014, 2015 or something. It's been out for a while. I mean, the, um, game, the game's been around since, well, since it came out the year I was born, I think, 81? 81. Uh, yeah. I know for a fact that the first edition of Call of Cthulhu came out in 1981. Yeah. Because they had their uh, 40th uh, anniversary last year. Okay. Uh, so did I. <laughs> That's yeah. So did you. <laughs> Weird. Uh, so, anniversary of vaginal exit. So even though there there isn't any uh, news about it, but I wanted to talk about it because it's news to me. It's news that we're gonna run it and then probably do an episode on it. Uh, but I, how do you, f- how do while we're on the topic of Call of Cthulhu, how do you feel about percentile dice? Percentile dice being two d tens. It's basically a d one hundred. You got a, you got you're rolling a one through one hundred chance. I mean, I'm I'm ambivalent to it. It's for me. It's like any system, if well built, it doesn't matter what the system is. So in this case, as long as the system for the game is well constructed, even if it's built around percentile dice, that doesn't really change. Because because for me, the rule system is always just a vehicle to tell the story. All right. Yeah. No, you know, I no, agree. No, don't get me wrong. There are some bad rule systems, some good rule systems. There are some systems better suited for certain things and less suited for others. But at the end of the day, as long as the system is properly tuned to tell the story that the game wants you to tell. Like, for example, this is going to be a lot more of a heavy role-playing oh, yeah. game compared to something like Dungeons & Dragons or Pathfinder, where, where combat is kind of by design at least a third of what you're doing. Yeah, if, you, if you're if you fighting... I, we have never run. Lance and I have never been a part of a official like Call of Cthulhu game. Nope. Like We have played a Savage Worlds hack of it, Mm-hmm. where we were using Savage Worlds to run a very Call of Cthulhu-style narrative, but we've never played Call of Cthulhu by Chaosium Inc. Uh, and I don't, don't want to fight space horrors. The <laughs> combat doesn't seem like a good idea in this setting to begin with. Like, it should be avoided. That's what I hear, that if you are in combat with a an eldritch horror, you are in danger. Your, your character is... <laughs> I'm in, in danger. Yeah, I'm in danger. Uh, you are, your character is, is hosed. Yeah, so your character's host, so I, to speak. I don't want to fight Cthulhu. That doesn't seem like a good time. No, no. Uh, well, that's actually another thing that I recently did. I played uh, Arkham Horror, the board game, okay. with my girlfriend. Yeah, you did tell me about that. Which is uh, which is very much, it's just the board game version of this. We should totally get some beer and, and bring that over to my house. And yeah, yeah, it'd, be, it'd, be, a, it'd it. be a lot of fun. You can, you can play it with, like, uh, up to two people, up to six players. It's like two to six players is ideal. I might even be able to get the wife in on that. She likes board games, so. Oh, yeah, and mm-hmm. it's uh, the... That's I, I I guess that's news. I've tried Arkham Horror uh, recently. <laughs> there you go. So uh, and and I like it. Um, they do a good job. Uh, the narrative of the game is advanced by there's there's the action phase, then there is the monster phase, then there is the encounter phase, and then there is the mythos phase of the and then you keep running until either you've lost or won the game. Okay. Uh, the main game comes with like four different scenarios of which you're trying to prevent various things. And it usually revolves around one of the greater Cthulhu mythos entities. Horrors. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the first one is, like, Yogg-Sothoth is messing with time. <laughs> there's, like, there's like tears in time. And, uh, what a jerk. Yeah. And uh, the first time Shelby and I played, uh, Yogg-Sothoth devoured the whole world. And... Uh, well, no. So the first time we played, we I think we just... Uh, we did lose. And then the second... Or... The first time we played, we got in it, and it looked like we were going to lose. So we restarted the next time we mm. played, because we ran out of time. It was like, we were really tired, so we just... We took a photo of the board to quote-unquote <laughs> like, right, save well, our progress. Uh, and then... But we decided to restart, and then we lost officially. <laughs> we got to the end and and then lost the game, rather than just giving up. So we haven't actually beaten a, a scenario one, so I think it'd be fun to play with, like... 
um, for people and give it a go. But bring it to the house sometime. It's balanced. Well, kind of. It's kind of balanced because you draw from tokens from the Mythos Cup, and that's the very random part. Like, oh, nothing happens on a blank token. Or if you draw a monster token, another monster is added to the board. And each investigator draws two during the Mythos phase. So if you're playing with only two investigators things, you know, don't progress as quickly. So uh-huh. it's, it's kind of balanced around the number of people that play. So that's kind of why you guys didn't finish your first game. Because, yeah, because it was moving, it was just, it was moving two, very slowly. The two of you. Yeah. In the in the second one, we ran a third, like, uh, shared investigator. So, okay. we, like, we it was me and her, but then we had a third, quote-unquote, yeah, investigator we'll that we were co-oping. Come over to the house, we'll drink and play some Cthulhu. Yeah, we can play Arkham Horror, and then it'll go hand-in-hand with running Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> Other news, speaking of horror, and D100 systems, see what oh. I did there? Uh, there's another system called Zweihander, which, uh, if you know what that word Isn't means... It's a big sword. It's a big, uh, I think, Germanic... Or something. It's like a, I think of Germanic or country origins. It's a big two-handed sword. I feel like I've seen that on like uh, Forged and Fire. It's also the name of a tabletop role-playing game. Is that tabletop role-playing game about big swords? No, it's a fantasy oh. horror game. Um, it basic. Well, if you know anything about it, it's it's like it's heavily inspired mechanically by like Warhammer fantasy role-playing okay. second edition and then you strip all the warhammer bits out of it so it's 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 a it's a war it's a fantasy horror role-playing system that uses d100 it's supposed to be very intuitive to run um more realistic so there's excuse me it's it's not level based excuse oh there it is there it got is. one got one for the producer's ears uh there's that blood orange <laughs> hey, i got a little blood orange for you can you yeah. taste it yeah just a little um uh, I have read through, not 2nd edition, but Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 4th edition. Because at one point we were dabbling with the idea of running a game to the point that we ran character generation. Yep. Um, and then we just, I don't know if it was a schedule change or I just didn't have the light of fire under my rear or what. But we didn't run it at the time. Um, and so Zweihander uh, has a Kickstarter right now, which has a starter kit, which has um, player's handbooks and uh, a map of in of like what I assume is the settings main area, and there there's like the seventy seven dollar version which has like a cloth map, so it's got all the nice greeblies mm-hmm. that you can get. Uh, but it's uh, it's got like spell and clue cards. But anyway, if you didn't know that Zweihander existed and you like the idea of running a fantasy horror game that has a little bit more meat to the mechanics than Shadow of the Demon Lord then this might be the answer for you. You know, I would really like to, and I think that we would have to very heavily curate what players we had, Uh but to do like a legitimate horror game. That's true. Um, Well, that's going to be something that I have to talk to the group about and call it Cthulhu because... Uh, it's not scary if people don't take it seriously. If you don't and, take it seriously. And, yeah. I, and I am just as guilty as everybody else at the table, but I like to make jokes. And if you want to suck the feeling out of a good horror campaign, yeah. the best way to do it is to not take it seriously and make a lot of jokes. Yeah, I can't I can't scare the party if everyone's like screwing around on their phones and making dick jokes. Yeah, no, that's, and, and that's a thing that happens. Yep, absolutely. So, you Which, know, I, you know, for your gen- generic fantasy game, it's fine, but if you want to keep an actual tone of dread... Like tension and yeah, dread. Yeah, you, you have to get people to be willing to buy in on it. Yeah. So, uh, going back to your discussion about mechanics fitting games, I like to equate it to um, the control scheme in a video game. You know for your mechanics to suit the type of game you're playing is kind of like how controls enable a player to interface with a video game. You want the controls to engage the player and be a gateway, not a closed Mm -hmm. door, right? To enable interfacing. As much as the tank controls sucked in the old Resident Evil games, it helped keep you scared. (laughs) Because you didn't have that, that, that snap agility that you could use to move around like if something came up behind you you knew you were slow turning and it was horrifying oh yeah get your head knocked off by a hunter in the first resident evil just whop right off right off your neck you're like why yeah, so in this in that exact same theme uh finding a horror system that has mechanics to suit because a lot of what people do these days is they just take fifth edition and they just hack it to fit whatever they mm-hmm. need 
Uh, and to a degree, that might work, might work for your group, but I want people to take a step back and recognize there might be better options out there. If you want to just keep running 5th edition, that's fine, but I, I personally don't think it's good for a horror game. No, find a good rule set for what your theme is. Yeah. Because, I mean, 5th edition does a lot of things really well, especially fantasy setting stuff. You can homebrew whatever you want to do with it, that's, that's good. But... I honestly can't see anything in 5th edition or Pathfinder that what I would consider conducive to a horror setting. So find yourself a um, setting. I mean, sometimes it pays to kind of shop around and, and find a rule set that is going to be more kind of conducive to the the vibe that you're going for. You know, 5th edition might, might be good for kind of okay at a little bit of everything, but if it's, if, if it's not going to be good for horror, go find you a system that will. Speaking of horror systems... Uh, have you heard of Mothership? <laughs> yeah, I think we've talked about it the, on the show. The best game I've never played yet. <laughs> Is it uh, still getting the rave reviews? Uh, well, I have a piece of news for it. All right, um, hit so it. I have both. I have. I've. I do not have a lot of Kickstarters under my belt that I have actually put money on. Uh, one of them being Mothership First Edition, slated to release later this year. And then Hole Breach, which is a third-party collection uh, to enhance your Mothership game. Also for Mothership 1st Edition to be, excuse me, released later this year. I have another Kickstarter. It'll be done by the time this episode releases, but it's still something you might want to check out. Have you ever played a video game called Subnautica? Yes. I believe that is one of the best unintentional horror games to ever exist. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's it's dreadful, honestly. It really is. It is a very, very oppressive environment. If you don't know what Subnautica is and you like indie games, especially like survival crafting games, go check it out. But it's basically uh, surviving... surviving in an alien ocean world like underwater that's exactly it and the deeper you get the scarier things get yeah because it turns out being super far away from fresh air uh, (laughs) in darkness with crazy underwater alien creatures is terrifying and you Uh, can build a pretty good sub at the end of the game that's that's pretty neat like uh, once you finally have that monstrosity oh yeah so there is another indie game that i have not played called in other waters uh but it's on my my steam wish list uh, and the person that made that, I think, is the person responsible for this. It's called In Other Waters Tidebreak. It's a uh, tabletop game for use with Mothership First Edition to be re- released later this year. Uh, so instead of space, it's ocean. Yeah, yeah. It's basically. It looks like it's basically In Other Waters the game. It's uh, this. This planet has, uh, people have discovered strange alien life and its oceans, and it is basically a. Uh, one thing that piqued my interest is that this module, I think, can be played solo. Oh, that's uh, cool. I saw it somewhere on its Kickstarter page, but it's got a, whole, a bunch of different, um, a bunch of different creatures. It's going to be a very like biology research style kind of narrative, and uh, it talks about how it's a slow burning. This is the quote. This is the bullet point: a slow burning, research centric oceanic mystery for new and existing mothership crews. Okay. And that sounds pretty interesting i like the idea of being in a sci-fi system that's i think what really captured me about subnautica was not only was it an underwater game but it is uh i should you know i should really play it if i'm going to talk about this module i should really play in other waters i was i was just thinking (laughs) i was like if this is going to be anything like subnautica i might get in on it um that said it's a uh, it's a mystery for new and existing mothership uh crews and i just i don't know i like I like the idea of ocean worlds in sci-fi. I mean, in a lot of ways, like, the mysteries of the ocean are almost scarier than the mysteries of space. Yeah, you because know, Because you weird. can look up at space and you can kind of surmise that it's mostly empty up there. It, it is mostly empty. If you look in the oceans, you know it's not empty. Yeah, you know. That, <laughs> you, like, there's some weird stuff going on down you there. Look at, uh, you look at pictures of deep sea creatures and critters and they're real weird looking really creepy stuff laying around at the bottom of the ocean not to talk not to even mention like the deep sea gigantism the Mm -hmm. so massive huge like shrimp and things like that that grow grow to live down there anyway that is uh at this at this by the time this episode releases uh the kickstarter will be closed but it is something if you if you are planning to play some mothership and you like the idea of an oceanic mystery Check out uh, In Other Waters Tidebreak. If you decide you want to GM that, watch the movie The Abyss. 
Oh, is that? I've never heard of this. Yeah, it... it's it's a underwater. Oh, gotcha. Horror-ish. It, I mean, it came out in like the '80s, I think. It was an older movie, but it's. Ooh, that's. A, I've, I've been trying to crush out some, uh, watch some older. If, if you movies. Des- if you decide you want to play some underwater kind of horror-esque or underwater mystery stuff, I would watch The Abyss. That sounds. That sounds like good inspiration. Like I always, like we always say, use movies as <laughs> yep. inspiration. Oh, absolutely. All right. So what's uh, what's happened recently in tabletop stuff? Have you done? Uh, any work on the product, or is it, have you just been crushing Monster Hunter Rise? Uh, well, I mean, I've been crushing a lot of Monster Hunter Rise, but um, I have been doing a little bit of painting. Ooh. Um, mostly in preparation for. Uh, I, I'm working on a personal project that we'll eventually talk a little more about on the show. Yeah, yeah. Um, Cody's in on it too. He's he's part of the the team that's kind of working on it with me. We're working on that a little bit. Yeah, that's that's some of what I did this week. Yeah. Aside from further gather you know me i'm always well honestly this i've been playing a lot of total war warhammer but uh, <laughs> i noticed i was i was on steam too <laughs> but uh aside from that i have also been uh, prepping call of cthulhu but i did recently do some work on this also aforementioned thing that you just said uh primarily the like the crafting related things stuff. yeah the crafting stuff uh and let me tell you uh, like I, I, we've mentioned before, the type of things that you Google as a game master to just <laughs> to just use as reference. I have learned more about brewing beer. Oh yeah, in the last uh, week than I've known my entire life. Yeah, you could ask me about that. I've been studying that for a while for personal reasons that had nothing yeah. to do with the game. It's uh, it's it's pretty interesting stuff. It makes it makes you wonder. I I on a, I don't give enough credit to earlier humans sometimes for right? being as inventive. So they might. It's it's like. They figured out how these things work, but they didn't know why these things yep. work chemically, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they they figure, oh, we need to add, we need to add hops, or we need to add yep. this. If to we put honey and water effect. together yeah. and let it sit long enough, eventually it'll make alcohol. I mean, they don't know why it worked. The Viking, mm-hmm. well, the Vikings or Norsemen, Norsemen yep. just uh, mm-hmm. probably thought it was the pantheon's fault. Yeah, the gods like, oh, they give me. Oh, this is great stuff. Oh, thanks to the gods that we can make mead, but. Uh, now we know why chemically things happen. Yeah, the, the I mean, I don't. All. I don't know the. No, oh, I I make my own meat. I know how that works. Um, but I mean, other than that, I've I've mostly been um, working on character stuff, like my Call of Cthulhu character, my One Ring character, making sure we get that stuff done. Yeah, we're gonna start we're gonna be starting that stuff up pretty soon. So. Yeah, Call of Cthulhu is coming up on the next game night, and then the One Ring Second Edition next week. Oh, actually, that's a. I'm gonna add a, a an end tag piece of news because now that you mentioned the One Ring, uh, Free League. Uh, which is the company that makes the One Ring, Coriolis, Forbidden Lands, Mutant Year Zero, all these all these really quality uh, RPGs? They have just announced a uh, like a group finding society. Not how unlike you've got the D and D Adventures League, mm-hmm. you've got the Pathfinder Society. society yeah. That Free League has uh, has uh, their own thing now, okay. uh, which you can just. I'm sure if you put it into Google, um, you'll find it. Uh, I don't even remember the official name of it. But for those of you that like to look into organized play and play with strangers, which is something that uh, we don't really do. Don't do a lot of that. We have a pretty dedicated group of people. Yeah. But everybody, if, everybody shows up. For, the for most those part, of you so. needing to find a group uh, for those type of games, there's a there's a resource for that now, or nice. or coming very soon in the future. All right. So on to the the main topic. The meat. The meat, uh, the meat of the of this episode. Hey, it could it could be veggies? I like meat. <laughs> well, for those at home, uh, it could whatever your main entree. How about you know, that? Dan's making a joke about that, right? I now. know. Lance <laughs> likes meat. Yeah. All right. So uh, the main topic of this episode is going to revolve around uh, failure. Not just we've talked before about our failures as GMs. We want to talk about now about character failure and how you can react to it react to it as the game master or or as the player for because right away right off the bat i want to encourage any tabletop role player who's listening to uh embrace the suck is, <laughs> yeah. is, a, is a saying you might be familiar yeah, no, that's, with uh, we learned that in the military yeah uh, <laughs> embrace the suck embrace the suck so that yeah that is a that is a that is a, a saying that I want to encourage role players to also uh, take heed of, because when you're trying to make an interesting character, encountering hardships uh, encourages and nurtures a better story, right? 
Yeah. Would, yeah. I mean, do you do you, you don't disagree? I assume. No, absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, all your failure it, makes the success better too. It's literally part of the formula for the hero's journey mm-hmm. when you're trying to in 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 many. In much of literature, any character that follows the classic hero's journey, there's always a fall, right? Yeah. Like, and then they learn a lesson, and yeah. then they come back, and they're victorious. They're, they're, and they're better, it... and they're stronger when they come back. Yeah, exactly. Uh, God, if it, you and I are nerds. Uh, we've been watching anime lately. Uh, I, and we, uh, Demon Slayer is so hot right now. And <laughs> so good. The main character. So well animated. Every, car- every story arc, that dude's getting bones broken. Yeah, he is he took a sword through the ch- He took a sword through the chin in the in Oh, the God. Arc. Yeah, that was bad. Yeah. Uh, and then he, but he's still. Spoiler ba- alert. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, I'm. Yeah, sorry, sorry. If you haven't seen, uh, if you haven't seen uh, the newest episodes of Demon Slayer, get on that. Yeah. Uh, what? I, I won't even judge you if you listen or if you watch it dubbed. Uh, watch that stuff right now. My kid has watched most of it. Yeah, that's that's. He's good. watching it dubbed, but I mean, he's watching it, so that's that's plus. It's it, always starting. It's a good it. example of a good protagonist. It really is, because unlike a lot of kind of protagonists in that in that vibe, he doesn't start off as crazy overpowered. Mm-hmm. They've had a lot of arcs where he has to work super hard to get there. Well, it's a shonen anime, yeah. right? It's just like, just like, uh, just like a Naruto or Bleach or anything like that. It's always a, a young male, youngish male protagonist mm-hmm. getting stronger and overcoming yeah. bad guys, right? But I feel like Tanjiro does a wonderful job of really getting the crap beat out of him. <laughs> It's like Dark Souls the anime. <laughs> he just he does. He gets he gets slapped around all. Uh, and so I want players in tabletop games to embrace that same sort of punishment. Uh, if you're rolling for stats and and you have it, if your key ability score is okay, uh, then embrace the fact that maybe one of your others ended up sucking. Kind of uh, em- embrace the dice when they decide to kick you in the shins yeah sometimes you roll in that one it happens you're gonna roll over the course of your lifespan as many nat ones as you will nat 20s assuming your dice aren't weighted or screwed up yeah statistically well you know what it doesn't even have to be the dice that kind of screw you sometimes the narrative does Mm -hmm. and that i mean embrace that i mean you know the last episode we talked about player conflict well that's our character conflict that's exactly how aram got stuck in captivity for several years that is true yeah you you had a narrative failure that that was that wasn't even an npc stabbing him in the back that was one of the other pcs just one of the other players the shoulder blades yeah well i mean right inside the wine glass yeah well i mean (laughs) but uh, so for for the game masters listening, uh, we want I want to talk to you for the rest of this episode about how to handle uh, what happens when the players fail. Uh, I have taken it as a personal challenge because uh, so in the earlier episodes I talked about how I would stop fudging dice. That mm-hmm. was my personal challenge. Currently, my personal challenge as the game master is to never ever say nothing happens after a dice roll. Mm-hmm. I want to avoid saying the words nothing happens. If someone fails a dice roll, it should be uh, no but, no and, yes but, yes and, Some like form that. of narrative. Yeah. Uh, the the good, good examples of this are like failing a jumping across the chasm. Mm-hmm. It's like you fail, uh, but is it is, if it's not like a critical failure, or even if it is a critical failure, uh, you can narrate. You don't have to narrate that the character just falls down and dies. You could say, oh, they catch themselves on the rock, but it was a hard smashing into jagged rocks. They take a D6 damage and, and a couple have... things co- like, oh, the rocks cut your belt loop mm. and your belt dagger falls into the chasm below. And they have to spend their next action climbing back up. Yeah, because... and, then, and then if they fail that roll, they've slipped down and they catch a vine barely. Mm. You know, make it make it layers of failure to try and... Because uh, if you do that, the tension gets Let's worse. Say, increases you, increases yeah, the like, drama, it increases the stakes, and it's, it's more fun than, oh, you just fell down to the bottom of the ravine and you're dead. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, hearkening back to, uh, well, not not Vladimir anyway, but sorry, bad joke. Uh, hearkening back to, oh Jesus, <laughs> uh, going back to the episode where we talked about our greatest failures, Aram, when he failed his diplomacy check against the dragon, uh-huh. I just said roll initiative. Yeah. Now, if I was going to fail forward, it would it would be the dragon might. Uh, we would have an intense dialogue. Intense dialogue and a more shrewd negotiation mm-hmm. or something is yeah. probably how I'd run it now, rather than just saying, "Oh, he fi- 
fights you, you are now in negotiations, but you have a disadvantageous position. Well, I mean, or even, even if we'd have ran the dialogue and at least I'd have kind of had a better idea of why I failed from the dialogue, I think that would have made it better. But that's lesson learned. I mean, that's yeah. you know, that's that's as a GM, you're gonna you're gonna screw some things up. Yes, you, you're. And the objective is to learn from those things to make a better experience for next time. Yes, screwing up is perfectly acceptable as long as you learn something from it. And that can be true both of the players, the game oh, yeah. masters, and the characters mm -hmm. can all screw up and fail and then learn something from it. And we're telling you to embrace that. Yep. Uh, so how? what are some other ways that... Uh, the basic concept is called failing forward. Mm -hmm. I th we've, we drank to that in one of the tutorial episodes. Yeah, we did. <laughs> so what are, what are some other important reasons uh, for, for failing forward? What are some other examples that you can come up with right off the top of your head? Do you have any real ones? Do you have any fabricated ones? Um, I mean, fa failing forward is something that rarely is done for, like, attack rolls and stuff like that. But, I mean, even then you can take the time to describe the missed shot. I remember, um, I think it was you that were, was telling me this. This was, uh, this was a campaign you were playing with some of the other guys that I wasn't a part of where... Um, one of the party members critically failed on their attack roll and ended up chopping the head off of their own horse that was in proximity oh, in combat. Yeah, that's that's become a classic moment. Yeah, that uh, that was before I even joined that campaign. Was it? It, that, to it me, was a that, couple sessions before I got up to join it. To me, that is turning a critical failure into an absolute narrative success. I think that is delightful <laughs> yeah, because it's memorable. Because it's memorable, and that's really like honestly, the most memorable moments are always the best ones. No matter how you get there, the things that you're talking about years down the road are always the best. That that's another. That's a that's a perfect specific example of not having too much of a uh, awesome backstory for a low level character uh -huh. because he that character is supposed to be like this real cool tough swordsman and then he accidentally in like chops one of the early the accidentally chops the, the the head off of the I don't know if it was their horse or just I, I think a it was horse. if I remember it was his horse oh like God. like he like Gregor Cladaned his own horse like he just <laughs> whack. <laughs> oh gosh! Uh, so that that brings up um, that brings up a very important part that you were f you, like you said it's it was a narrative success. Mm -hmm. Now, what I would caution you against is it's okay like if a critical failure goes awry and hits one of your allies, but as a GM, don't punish that ally with a whole ton of damage. Oh yeah! Like if they crit fail and they hit a dude, don't like have them kill their ally because the problem at that point in my mind is the ally didn't do anything wrong either narratively or rolling like they just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time yeah and you can even spin it um you can even spin it as just a narratively threatening thing like say mm -hmm. you're in a you're in a gunpowder setting and you're firing into melee yeah and you critically fail your thing it doesn't have to uh, hit the player, but it could like leave a hole in their cape, yeah. you know, like in your ally's cape or something, something that doesn't hinder them mechanically, mm -hmm. but puts a lot of narrative flavor on the situation. Yeah. Or, or it could be just a glancing blow where they lose one or two hit points. It's something yeah. not terribly severe, but don't, don't like just flatline a character that's completely unrelated to the role because because of the failure of the other player um but that you, what you when you when you brought up combat that brings up an interesting point about failing forward is that it's not something that you need to do in combat no. because in combat you miss you're going to have another chance as long mm -hmm. you know when you when you fail in combat that just you you miss and you're going to have another chance to succeed on your next turn yeah in many games skill checks are where you need to fail forward yep. because a lot of games say hey your skill check represents your character's best attempt at this situation uh, to attempt this, uh, whatever their dramatic challenge. If a skill check can be achieved by them just sitting there and rolling dice until they succeed, you shouldn't have them roll. You should just say, you spend you the time necessary mm -hmm. to succeed. Well, and see, that's something that I like about systems, which will flat out tell you, if you can't make this roll... You're, it's beyond your character's skill depth. Right. You can't make like, this attempt again mm -hmm. unless you something changes yeah. about the situation. And, and whether the system says you can only do it once or whether it's like three, a three-time limit, the point being is that, that if there's a target number and it's something that they're supposed to make the skill roll toward and they can't meet that threshold criteria, my favorite systems are the ones that just say, this is beyond your skill. Right. 
Because then you don't have that problem where, well, I'm just going to keep rolling until I break all my lock picks or until the door comes open. Yeah, that's, and that's that's not, it's not interesting. No, it's, it's not, not. It's a it's... very boring way to go about it. It's just... <laughs> and, and you're just, you're basically sitting there watching the rogue roll to unlock the door for the next 10 minutes because he's having a hard time hitting the target number. Yeah, it's, uh, if you're letting your players just roll until they succeed, then it wasn't really a very fun and, or interesting roll. And it wasn't really a challenge at that point because, I mean... No, they just had to keep rolling dice uh, on until a, they... On a long enough timeline, you're eventually going to hit that 20. Yeah. <laughs> now, you could say... Um, now, if, if they, for a good example of failing forward, it would be, uh, I will bring up Powered by the Apocalypse, which is a system that I have not played, I have not run, but I have read and understand enough of it to know why people like it, and it is a very narrative system that brings in the yes ands, no buts, like, oh, do I succeed? No, but blank. So in your example where the, the rogue is uh, trying to pick the locks, mm -hmm. one of the outcomes might be uh, yes but you you do manage to pick the lock but it was loud and clunky and now the guards behind the door are alerted mm -hmm. you know or uh, maybe you fail with a little bit of success like uh, you are unable to get the the door open but the you know say say for, say for instance you you broke your lock picks but you also broke the lock mm -hmm. you know just uh, yeah. different things that might it's success with a cost is yeah. a lot of the time or, or failure for success with a cost or price or a failure with a silver lining. Well, right? success with a cost was something that, um, that I felt like Lancer did pretty well too. Oh yeah. Like their entire I, I system so. was built on that, that predicate where they have, there was, uh, there, there was, was like, rolls. yeah, there was like full on success. And then there was like, yeah, you succeeded, but now you owe a guy a favor or something else that you had to, you, you had to sacrifice a thing to get the thing that you wanted which may come back later as a as a narrative tool for the GM to use, which is always nice to have. And know. a lot of these systems have it baked in. Uh, mm -hmm. They they recommend those advice. They have these things. Um, it is. I'm not saying that you always have to do this. Uh, it is okay for sometimes the players to just fail. That they that something just happens because that is it. It really depends on your style and where you're coming from. Everything is subjective. We can give advice, but it's not going to apply to every group or right? every situation. You might you might some groups might swear by powered be by the apocalypse, but you and I we play a lot of D and D D twenty style games mm -hmm. these last couple of years, and in those games, a lot of the time you just fail. But they're, by, they're, by rules is written. But anyway. as a GM, you can always flavor the failure. You Even if the end result is, yes, you fail, describe how they fail. Right. Put, you know, put it into some context so that they understand it and so that it sounds good. You, yeah, you as the game master can also... Uh, when characters fail, try to do it in such a way that it's not the character's fault. Especially if the, especially if you're playing like a heroic game. Mm -hmm. you If you're trying to play heroes... You don't want to describe a failure as them blundering the, mm -hmm. the attempt, but rather something going wrong. Yeah. Um, so, you know... If you're jumping over a ravine, instead of the player missing the ravine, maybe when their foot lands, the ground splits beneath them. Right. And they fall down, not because of their inability to cross the gap. But because, because of an unexpected development. Because, because the ground that they landed on was not as stable as they thought yeah, it was. They, they hit the ledge and it breaks it, away. It breaks away and then they're caught catching themselves on the ledge yes. it makes them feel better even though it was technically their failure by role yeah it's, and it's it makes very them important for heroic fantasy looks less or, like or even swords and sorcery anything where you want the heroes to at least uh either they are badass by nature or by attempt or just mm. the narrative you don't want to turn them into comical buffoons <laughs> uh some characters make good comical some buffoons, com but yeah it, usually it they're designed to be deliberately that like most people bog would want make to, a good comic bog buffoon. would make yeah that's true it might it might make sense for bog as, <laughs> as you develop your game master's intuition you can kind of decide on the fly when it is and isn't appropriate but many people want their characters to feel cool they want to feel mm -hmm. awesome. Oh, yeah. You want your character to be able to achieve feats not normal uh, for the normal person. Like, I can't jump uh, 20 feet. I If I jump, I get winded. <laughs> if I jump, you know, I, it's, a, it's a matter of uh, perspective and scale. I want, if I'm playing a barbarian and I've taken, especially if it's something that has to do with character builds. Right there, you've got like Shadowrun and D and D and other games where you have talents and skill points and things like that. If a character is built for something specific, it 
it causes uh, bad feels when you fail at the one thing you built your character yeah. to do. So in those it's it's in those scenarios specifically, you should look at the character making the attempt, what type of attempt it is. So if Bog is trying to do a feat of a small thieving goblin, if mm-hmm. he's trying to do a feat of strength and fails, it might make sense for him to be appropriately comical. It's about not particularly it. strong. Yeah, that was his dump stat. But if he if he's trying to be if he's trying to pickpocket, uh, it should have been a solid attempt, and it should go wrong for a reason different than his own mm-hmm. skill. Yeah, right. Well, like um, at if you were trying to steal someone's back. Uh, back uh, coin purse that they mm-hmm. have on their belt, and a good way to fail forward would be to to develop the narrative. Uh, would be to say, "Oh, you try to reach for the guy's uh, coin purse, but at the same time, he reaches back to scratch his rear and accidentally brushes Bump, your, hand. your hand. He starts to turn around to investigate. <laughs> what do you do? You know, roll, like, hide, hide, hide. Yeah, because you, as the game master, you control time. Yeah, you have." complete control over how quickly things happen um you can say he turns around and catches you or you could say he's beginning to turn around and give the player a chance to do another thing Mm -hmm. which is a great way to handle failing forward is provide more opportunities for further failure and if they fail like three times in a row then (laughs) well that's that's just on yeah then the dice hate them or they've made poor decisions and i think as a gm if if you have a particularly creative player, you could almost say, okay, you failed. How did you fail? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. People, sometimes people like to, the idea of, for the players that are willing to embrace the mm. suck, you can invite them into the narrati- narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, some systems actually encourage more cooperative role-playing like that. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, you see it less in 5e and Pathfinder, but games like, in a lot of free league games or other narrative games, it encourages the GM to allow players to do these flavorings these these yeah uh, and i mean you gotta know which players are gonna work with that and which ones aren't because some of them aren't gonna be able to properly describe a failure other ones like your more creative ones are like okay listen you failed at this pickpocketing role describe to me how you failed right yeah you know and 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 kind of help steer them through that endeavor because you know like you said it might have just been that the dude reached back and brushed your hand and it wasn't because you sucked it was because the cosmos aligned itself in a way to just kind of screw you. You, It was the perfect pickpocket, except for the fact that he reached back at the same time you were trying to grab a coin purse. And it is completely within your right as the game master to immediately check them at the door, so to speak. So uh, if they go ridiculously off the rails, you can say, well, no, but... Uh, yeah. So, for instance... You might the, the player might say, "Oh, I failed because a herd of cats suddenly ran through the tavern door." It's like, well, th- no, that doesn't make sense. You know, if if you're you are the game master, you have the ability to to check and balance these mm-hmm. these narrative tellings well, that the players are allowed to do. For but the, most of the time, they're gonna they're gonna keep it inside the rails. Mm-hmm. Well, and for the pickpocket example. Not it, on the rails, but inside the inside the train car. Yeah. Well <laughs> for for the pickpocketing example, it could be anywhere from the guy reaching back or to some bystander actually seeing you That's doing true. it. it might that have been you a didn't realize person. that was there that called you out. And sometimes as a GM if you let the player kind of inform how the failure happened, that's gonna give you a lead to what the next thing you should do is because if, if they say, Oh, well maybe the guy, you know, that was the, the homeless guy or whatever, sitting, sitting over on this area, he saw me doing it. He said something. Well, you know, if that's what the player gives you to work with now, maybe you say roll initiative because he called you out and the dude you were trying to pickpocket from that's true. Did see you. And you, you left that in the player's hands. They had the opportunity to kind of flavor that. But if they do the, the whole, well, he reached back and brushed your hand thing. Maybe then, you know, if that's how they describe it as a GM, you give them a chance to roll a, a diplomacy roll to convince them that that's not what you were doing. You know what I mean? That you, you just accidentally happened to brush into them in the wrong time and give them something to play with. Yeah, just try to just try to fast talk you like, oh, yeah. oh, sorry, sorry, you had some uh, yeah. some fuzz on your yeah, exactly. on your clothing. I was yeah, you had a string. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's a it's it's something that can surprise you as the game master because as the game master. Most of the time, the players are the ones that are surprised by the mystery that you already have in your head. So it can be fun to allow the players to have input, and 
to flex your improv chops because they might bring up something that you weren't expecting and that can be pleasing that can be a lot of enjoyment to the game master themselves uh there is there is a you can use something called the reaction roll for npc behavior it is a 2d6 scale where uh if you roll in the middle of the chart, the NPC reacts how they would. Mm-hmm. So like, oh, you meet bandits on the road, they're going to try and rob you. But if you roll high on the chart, uh, they they might be friendlier than normal. Mm-hmm. All right? So maybe maybe you can do, you can include dice roll charts to things like this. <laughs> he, to lo- he loves his dice roll charts. Yeah. So you can, you can fail forward in a number of ways that only serve to enrich the recipe of a fully baked narrative. And, uh, God, what else? That sounded like a pretty poignant end, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I have some more things to say. Uh, actually, I want let's give some more specific advice to Game Masters about failing forward. Uh, we've already talked about how you don't always have to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you should really do it in situations where the roll would kill the character. Like, if, it's, if one roll is going to spell doom, mm-hmm. that's a good time to do it. Uh, oh, oh, here's, oh, we, we haven't talked about the total party kill. Oh. Yeah, so, yeah, that's, that's what I was going to talk about. Um, this is a good example of uh, a way to fail forward, is if you are in combat and the party dies. Or not necessarily dies, but they are, re- all of them are reduced to zero HP and maybe one or two of them or none of them escape. Rather than having their characters pass away, um you end up with people that are in captivity taking prisoners taking prisoners very rarely will uh very 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 rarely will players uh run away from a fight that's um, true even if even if you don't even if they don't think they can survive for like i don't know if it's it's and i'm guilty of it too but like as a player do we just not perceive the proper danger it, it, well, it can be hard to because when you're the game master, you see the challenge rating of no, the you, you know the stats the of everything level, you're going to fight. But against. as a player, it's usually a mystery unless unless people are running stock monsters in mm. a system you're really familiar with. Uh, you don't know the stats of your opponent. See, I've always kind of thought about that, the concept. And I don't know if I've ever used it, but the concept of having a almost a threat roll, like a player can make at the beginning of combat. To determine whether or not they are way out of their depth. Oh, like like some sort of per- so they can perceive or yeah, or like inter- a, like intuit the like like yeah, an in, in intuition role where they're like, oh, this is danger. Not, Will Robinson. Yeah, this is not what we want to be fighting right now. Maybe it's time to go. Yeah, and but, that can be a that's that's a situation where you can fail forward is if the entire party uh, ends up in a total party kill. That's what a TPK is where mm-hmm. they all hit zero hit points. They've lost combat. They're on the ground. You can take them captive instead of having to stop your story. Mm-hmm. And then that might be an interesting thing. Maybe you weren't planning for your NPCs to take captives. Uh, and now you have, as the GM, have a challenge, an interesting challenge of figuring out why they are taking captives. Mm-hmm. You might be changed. You might have changed. You might have to change your narrative a little bit to fit it, but it might build a deeper mystery. You, 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 I can see a thought in your yeah, head. Well, and it behooves you to make sure that you're, you're kind of gauging your NPCs when you do this. Because, like, if the NPCs, for example, are not humanoid, if they're an- if they're animals or monsters oh, yeah. with non-human intelligence, they're not taking captives. No. They're going to kill your party and eat the corpses. That's what it, they're going to do. And that's like, Well, especially if you're fighting, like, zom- you know, brain-eating zombies. Yeah. They might stop in combat mm-hmm. to eat your buddy. Exactly. But, like, devils, for example, oh, they've got yeah. motivations all their own. I mean, they, you know, devils, any human, human, humanoid, mind flayers. human, yeah, mind flayers, vampires any of those like you know what vampires want yeah (laughs) blood but any feeding feeding stock intelligent npcs yes you can as as a gm be ready on the fly to be able to make up a reason why they might capture the party well i mean even weird monsters can take captives Mm -hmm. think about alien yeah that's true (laughs) that's true you might have monsters that take Mm -hmm. captives too no, so, that, which, that, which makes for an even more interesting. Why, oh, yeah. why did this why monster am I, take captives? You wake up. Why am I cocooned to this wall? They, oh, Luke, Luke Skywalker got captured by a yeti. That's true. Yeah, he's he was food, he was a snack <laughs> saved for later. <laughs> so yeah, try and uh, 
if if it's very important to yeah, to you and your party to keep running the same narrative, you can fail and still head towards the goal. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, you might because I I know that I think we've all had this happen where you'll put your players in combat and your expectation was that they were going to succeed. Even if it was going to be a rough success, it was going to be a success. Yeah. You you weren't planning on ending the campaign in that moment and the dice didn't cooperate or maybe the players made a bad decision or maybe the NPCs made a really good decision on their part. True. And and all of a sudden this combat that you built for the players to struggle with but survive becomes just a total total bloodbath the players are just they're dying and you're thinking i don't want this campaign to end i've got a whole lot of cool ideas for this you know let's let's not put a stop to it right here captivity is always fine and and if you feel like especially if the players were making bad decisions that led to this if you feel like you want to punish them a little bit that's a good time to start taking pieces of gear away from them that they, yeah. they had worked to get. Get rid of magic. The, get the rid of some magic took, items. The, the, the bad guys took and sold off their magic yeah, items. Like, yeah, like, like, because, you know, sometimes those bad decisions in combat, I mean, assuming that it wasn't just, just bad luck of the die, but they made some critically bad technical decisions, decisions in, yeah, in let's combat. Run in, oh, this field is covered in you yellow know, mold. Let's just run out yeah, there. Yeah, they, they, you know, them, them hitting zero hit points... You know, death doesn't have to be the punishment that you issue out. Yeah. You can capture them and punish them by taking away other things that they care about. And that will also give them motivation to build back toward that previous power level by accruing whatever they need to accrue There's that to f- get back to that level of equipment that they had before you robbed them of all their stuff. And that right there is the the fall in the hero's journey cycle. Yep. That's the there fall before the rising victory. Mm-hmm. So just uh, take into account everything that we have said today. Uh, and you will probably, your mileage may vary, find that you have a more interesting uh, developing story moving forward where you can fail but keep pushing on towards the bright light that is Act 3 of your wonderful (laughs) narrative. All right, so that said, uh, Siobhan is calling for Last Call. Uh, I hope you have enjoyed your time here with us today in the comfort and warmth near the ever-burning hearth. Uh, if you want to email us questions, email us questions, comments, anything you want to email us about show-related, you can send it to us directly, very simple, at gmspeakeasyofficial at gmail.com. He really wants to read some emails from you I guys. would love to run topics recommended by <laughs> listeners. Uh we are brought to you by the record button production group that is found on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. YouTube being where our episodes are uploaded alongside our sister shows. And iHeartRadio, right? And you will, yes, you can listen to us on iHeartRadio, <laughs> Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, uh, YouTube. Tell your friends, share links, and make sure that you come back in two weeks where you can hear from us again. Please uh, enjoy your walk home, or maybe you're taking the bus, or maybe you drove here. But either way, we want you, after you're enjoying your time here, to please get home safe. Bye.